Welcome to another episode of That Rooted Feeling. This is episode eight, Alcohol and Your Health. This episode is brought to you by the Rooted Food mobile app, the app that helps you to get a variety of plant foods in your diet to promote your gut and overall health. You can download it in the Apple Store or on Google Play. Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where we bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition. So you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all areas of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back to another week. So on today's episode, Brooke is going to talk about alcohol and the effects it has on our health. Brooke is going to go over any benefits alcohol may provide and then also talk about at what point alcohol becomes a problem. So Brooke, we hear through different sources that a little bit of alcohol may be beneficial, but what can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I want to get into this, but before I provide that information, I just want everyone who's listening to know that this is not a permission slip to go drink alcohol as some kind of medicinal component to your lifestyle. It's going to affect different people in different ways. And there are certainly some people in my clinic who are patients that I would recommend have zero alcohol or, you know, just really, really limited, not for any, not to try to get any benefit from alcohol at all because they can be negatively affected based on their history. Sure. That brings me to an important point about the podcast as a whole. We never want to provide you with medical advice through this platform. It's purely informational and educational, and it should never be used to replace advice from your personal medical provider. But back to your question, there have been individual studies linked to mild drinking and a lower risk of heart attacks, strokes, death due to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and some gallstones. A cohort study as recent as 2018 in people who were otherwise healthy showed that very light drinking reduced the risk of coronary artery disease. And when they defined very light light drinking in this study, it was one to three drinks per week. And so women are always going to be on the lower end of the scale when we give a scale. So think about women being like the one to two drink range per week and the men being on the two to three drink range. Women make less alcohol dehydrogenase and they have a higher percentage of body fat So there's less volume in their blood for the alcohol to be diluted. So they they experience the effects of alcohol stronger than men do. So that's why women can really only drink a certain amount (laughs) and men cannot drink us. Yes, exactly. Another study in 2018 cited one to four drinks per week was associated with a lower all-cause mortality compared to people who drank none. So you may hear people talk about the J curve of alcohol. So no no alcohol at all may not be as good as having just like a little bit of alcohol and a little bit of alcohol on this J curve at the bottom may, you know, infer some health benefit. And then once you get to this threshold of too much, then of course your risk starts to go up with alcohol. So it's just important to keep in mind when we're looking at these studies, the amount of alcohol that they're discussing is very little, one to four, one to three drinks per week. 
So that's much lower than what's considered okay by medical standards. So what are the current medical recommendations for alcohol consumption? Yeah, so I want everyone to know when she says okay, it's in it's in parentheses, yeah. right? So if you go to the doctor right now, they're going to say one drink a day or less for women or two drinks a day or less for men is a moderate level. And that comes from the U.S. Dietary Guidelines for Alcohol Consumption, which says in consuming alcohol, it should be consumed in moderation, which is this is their definition for moderation, and only by adults of legal drinking age, which we all know. That recommendation is based on some of these studies that I mentioned before that show some reduced risks. They're individual studies. The Lancet also published two cohort studies in 2018. The first concluded that these this moderate drinking level might be too much. And then they also showed in another cohort study that in high-income countries, 100 grams per week, that's about seven drinks a week, that's one drink a day, showed some benefit for coronary artery disease and diabetes. The authors actually at the conclusion of that study said, given that there's other health impacts, that this recommendation might still be too high because of the infectious disease, cancer risk, cardiovascular disease risk. So it just goes to show we can't be recommending alcohol in the same degree for everybody. Yeah, so it can be confusing. It's kind of like nutrition studies. They're never going to have the tight control and the length of study to really say that this specific amount is okay. So that's why you're getting these conflicting results from the studies, would you say? That too. And I think, you know, there are people who can just drink a little bit and be really affected by that alcohol consumption and develop chronic disease from that. And there are other people who can drink liters and liters of alcohol and not be affected. So I do think that there is some component of our genetics that affects this. Yeah. And I know in Asian populations, I think it's some Korean, Japanese, Chinese, that they have this inherited deficiency of one of the enzymes that actually breaks down alcohol. So they get this flushed face and they don't actually break it down appropriately. So if we can see that in just how we break down alcohol, we can deduce that people will be affected in terms of their cellular components when they are drinking alcohol in different ways. All right, Brooke, so if there is some benefit to light alcohol consumption, what do you propose are the reasons and the benefits of it? It's probably multifactorial. When The Lancet published this most recent cohort study, it looked at the benefit in high-income populations. And that maybe means one thing for them that maybe doesn't translate to other populations. And that is stress, right? So alcohol is a stress reliever at the end of the day, which can be very, very beneficial to our overall health. We're going to do a whole podcast on what stress does to your health, but reducing stress certainly can be a factor as to why alcohol can be beneficial. Again, it's a blood thinning agent. So if you have coronary artery disease or you have stenotic vessels, having thinner blood could be beneficial to your overall risk of mortality from heart attacks or strokes. It also helps with social interaction and it helps you form connections with other people. We know that people that that have meaning social connections tend to live longer, feel like they have more purpose. And that could be another reason. Of course, we all know that polyphenols and red wine like Reservatrol have been touted as these great antioxidants that help to lower our risk of disease. Uh, so that that's also another component. So, but then you know, a lot of these studies talk about alcohol in general, not just red wine. 
So it's probably multifactorial. But we've seen in our discussions of the blue zones yeah. how, you know, they have probably a drink a day with in a social environment. Yeah, over in Sardinia and Italy, they do what's called wine at five. And so they come together and have that social connection and they share a glass of wine with those polyphenols. But it's also but they're also getting the benefit of that social connection attached to the alcohol consumption. So I'm sure both of those play into the longevity effect of alcohol. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing to mention about these populations is they live so well elsewhere. They're not having a lot of saturated fat. They're always moving. So they're generally healthy. They don't have high cholesterol. They don't have high blood pressure. They don't have, you know, aneurysms or risks of bleeding. They don't have cancers as much as, say, a a Western population such as ours. Yeah, that's why it's so hard to give one blanket recommendation on alcohol because we need to know your risk factors. We need to know what else you have going on. If thinning your blood is not going to be beneficial for you. We're not going to recommend (laughs) alcohol. absolutely not. It gets really risky to say, okay, it's all right for you to have a moderate level of drinking unchecked because every individual has a different risk factor, right? So certainly people with a history of cancer, particularly breast, colon, or liver cancer, anybody who has the onset of liver disease, which could be followed by labs or an ultrasound, Anyone with heart failure certainly does not benefit from alcohol intake. People with dementia, you don't want drinking alcohol. Somebody who's pregnant or trying to get pregnant. There are a lot of different things that could affect whether or not a moderate level of alcohol is, quote unquote, okay for you. And so, you know, these authors are very poignant when they say, if we're doing this research in order to give a recommendation, our recommendation is still no, like, The safest level of drinking is none. Yeah. Well, having that information, let's shift gears and talk about moderate to high alcohol consumption, which is probably more common than we would like to admit, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just modest projections state that 15 million people in the U.S. suffer from alcohol use disorder, which is a lot of people, but I think it's probably even higher. There's, you know, it could be more like 30% of Americans that exceed the National Institute of Health's daily recommendations. And that could have gone up over these last years. I mean, we've seen an increase in stress and people are using alcohol for stress management. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we see the prevalence is highest in people who are ages 18 to 34. And that makes sense. I mean, as you get older, you kind of are more in tune to how that affects your health and how it affects your, you know, daily lives. So I think... Once you get past that mid-30 age, people, you know, tend to start cutting back a little bit. Um, It's definitely more prevalent in the white population at increased incomes, in people who live in the Northeast, Midwest, Alaska, and Hawaii tend to have more, have increased rates of alcohol intake, and men more than women, and then people with psychiatric disorders, namely depression or anxiety or trauma, And anybody who's ever had a family history of alcohol use disorder, they're all at increased risk. Wow. Can you define what alcohol use disorder is for us? Alcohol use disorder is the DSM-5 term for a misuse of alcohol consumption. DSM-5, you don't really need to know unless you're in the medical field, but it's just a standardization for psychiatric disorders. Alcohol use disorders has underneath its umbrella, several variations. Binge drinking, which we can define as five drinks in two hours for men, four drinks in two hours for women, 
or any level of alcohol that increases your blood alcohol level to 0.08 milligrams per liter. And then there's also under this umbrella at-risk drinking, which is a combination of heavy, heavy alcohol use and binge drinking. And heavy alcohol use is more than four drinks on any day for men and more than three drinks on any day for women. So I know personally tons of people who fit into the category of alcohol use disorder. And we know that it causes significant distress and impairment and you have impaired control. You have cravings and preoccupations about getting that next drink, persistent and unsuccessful desire to quit or cut down. And despite adverse consequences, like you're hungover or nauseous or heartburn or headaches, you continue to use. So those are common attributes of anyone with an alcohol use disorder. So how do they diagnose that then? So there is a screening questionnaire. It's 11 questions. And if you have two or more of them, you have mild alcohol use disorder. Then it goes to moderate or severe if you answer more correctly. But you only need six of the 11 to have severe alcohol use disorder. And they're things that are simple. Do you ever get sick from drinking alcohol? Do you ever have, does it ever cause problems at work or with family? Have you ever thought you needed to cut back? So it's it's some of these pretty basic questions yeah. about using alcohol. And I know a lot of people will get drunk, hungover. It'll affect their family the yeah. next day. They're like, oh, I should never drink alcohol again. <laughs> and right there, they're in the moderate range for alcohol use disorder, and they'll go drink again. Yeah, and they fill out this questionnaire. They're found out to be a moderate <laughs> alcohol drinker, but nothing's really ever done, Nothing right? ever happens. And so how do we really shine a light on this for people that who are consuming alcohol? Right. So if there was no problem, then, okay, go for it. But I think what we do is bring awareness to the issues that accompany alcohol consumption. And it's associated with liver disease, including cirrhosis, or just, you know, liver failure requiring a transplant or cancer of the liver. And does that take years of drinking to develop a lot of these? Not necessarily. I mean, people can drink for less than a year and get cirrhosis. So everybody's different. How much they're consuming and how often. Uh huh. And people will have higher risk of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart failure, dementia. Um, 10% of all cancers are associated with drinking, and that's really important to note. Definitely the digestive cancers like liver and colon, but also breast cancer has a high risk when uh, you consider alcohol as a factor. Then, of course, you know, just with impairment, you can get a risk of injury from just falling or driving drunk. Um, Then lapses in judgment can lead to risky behavior like other drugs or doing things we shouldn't be doing. (laughs) Oh, yes. I working in the emergency room, I definitely (laughs) saw the effects, the the bad effects of alcohol and all of these problems from car accidents to suicides to... Yeah, like you said, alluding to consuming and using other drugs. Right. So it, and you mentioned suicide. We can't neglect that this is really associated with mental health, depression, anxiety, addiction, and suicide. And it doesn't make it better. It numbs probably those mental pains for a little bit, but then there's a a worsening rebound effect. Yeah. Uh, Not to mention that, you know, alcohol poisoning, I'm sure you saw that in the ER. Oh, yes, for sure. And then fetal alcohol syndrome, we all know in uh, developing babies when the mother drinks alcohol while they're, she's pregnant. So it's not just affecting our disease risk, but it's also affecting how long we're living, right? Yeah. So if we break it down for people who drink 
more than seven drinks a week, we can see a tertiary breakdown. So adults drinking seven to 14 drinks per week, they live on average six months shorter after the age of 40. Wow, that's amazing. And then if you go up to 14 to 25, that's one to two years of decreased lifespan. And then 25 drinks per week, you can limit your lifespan by four to five years. Wow. Oh, wow. So beyond just trying to cut back, is there anything else for treatment to help people with this alcohol use disorder? Yeah, and I really want to encourage anybody If you are concerned about your level of alcohol intake and you're trying to cut back, but it hasn't been successful, talk to somebody. And I really want to destigmatize like going to a psychologist or a therapist or a psychiatrist. There are so many people who are well-trained to help with this kind of substance issue. And it really should, you know, we've even changed from alcoholism, which used to be the term for alcohol use disorder because we want to destigmatize it. And I just give so much credit to the young celebrities in this arena who are saying, okay, I've had a problem with alcohol and I'm going to go get help and I'm going to be really forward about. Yeah, they're speaking up and helping yeah. others to speak up as well and address the issues of misuse of alcohol in their own lives. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so many resources. There's online resources like rethinking drinking, if you want to go look that up. Antidepressants can help. They're anti-relapse medications. You know, they're not, they're not pleasant. They make you feel sick if you drink alcohol, but they can definitely help you get rid of that habit. There's counseling or groups like AA. And with counseling, there are behavioral interventions. Then there are also some off-label medications like topiramate or gabapentin that have been used and shown some success in helping with alcohol use disorder. To sum it all up, I think it's too risky to allow people to continue to think that a moderate level of alcohol is okay for their health. We don't know exactly when, at what dose, that mild benefit turns into a risky behavior. And secondly, we're not really good at moderation in this society. (laughs) You know, one drink turns to two drinks, turns into 10 drinks, and people too quickly end up in the red zone. Yeah. And so knowing these potential small benefits of alcohol, but also knowing the health risks of consuming alcohol, how do you like to consume alcohol? Well, first, let me say that I really focus on an overall pattern of wellness. Yeah. Right? So I am eating well. I am sleeping well. I am exercising. I am managing my stress. I am, you know, taking care of myself in terms of, my mental health and getting social connections. And I really feel like I I have a holistic view of my health. And in that, I do allow myself to drink occasionally on the weekends. But because I am so healthy everywhere else, I can only drink one, maybe two glasses, generally only one glass. And I always choose red wine or a margarita because I just have that vice. But that is that's my preferential approach to alcohol. I do enjoy it. I do find it, you know, beyond pleasurable to have a drink with friends. I do find it tasty and delicious. Yeah. I'm the same way. I will choose red wine or a spicy margarita if I'm out with friends or out with my husband for dinner. Um, But I love to only consume alcohol. I used to consume it, I think, you know, at the end of a long day, Uh um, stressed from raising three kids and kind of to wind down. And now I only consume it 
when I'm actually feeling really good. I actually made that same promise to myself not too long ago, just a few months ago, like not to drink alcohol for like that anxious feeling to only drink when I was happy. Yeah, that has really benefited me. And like you, I take a holistic approach to health. So when I do consume that one glass of wine or that margarita, I don't really notice the ill effects of it because I only have one and I'm still moving my body. I'm feeding it nourishing foods and I'm managing my stress. So I would, I would almost give that recommendation to drink alcohol when you're feeling good, not when you're wanting something to take the edge off. Maybe find a different health-promoting behavior to start in your life. Yeah, and I think maybe a lot of people who aren't in the same mind frame that we're in would, you know, probably be taken aback by that recommendation. It gives us an opportunity to reiterate that overall feeling of well-being, that rooted feeling, the whole reason we made this podcast. Once you get to a point in your life where you really have optimized all these areas of your life, the alcohol is just like, you know, one component of that. And you're so tuned in to how your body functions on these things. Yeah, that awareness is key. So having that self-awareness of next time you go to grab a drink, ask yourself, like maybe the same question every time you go to grab a drink, am I drinking this to socialize? Am I drinking this to take the edge off? Why are you consuming alcohol? So having that self-awareness, I think, is a key factor here. Right. And mindfulness is so good. And don't give yourself grace if you aren't ready to change this behavior. You know, just being mindful of it is a lot better than doing it just out of habitual nature. And it is habitual. We have glorified this social situation where everybody's drinking all the time, every night, with every dinner. And so you have to you have to say, how am I going to change this behavior? And a lot of times for me, starting out when I wanted to reduce that, I would do it in a situation where the first time I like decided actively not to drink in a social setting, it was my birthday. And I invited all the people that loved me. And I just said, my gift to myself for my birthday is to not drink and to be sober in an area where I know everyone loves me. I don't have to feel self-conscious or socially awkward. And it was great. I love that. Again, and another crutch you can use is just to have a mocktail because sometimes it's less about that inhibition and more about the habitual nature of having something with you. Yeah. So I love a sparkling soda with cucumber and mint or some lime juice. And that gets you in that festive flavor without really putting you in in harm's way. Yeah. Having that special drink and still being able to socialize and have something in your hand, but not consuming the alcohol. I love a spicy margarita mocktail. So I do like a squeeze of an orange, a lemon, or a lime, and then fill the rest of the cup with sparkling water. And I love to drop like a fresh jalapeno in there to make it a little spicy. Delicious. <laughs> Maybe do a tahini rim. You know, you can really make it fancy, even though it's a mocktail. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that sounds very refreshing for yes. the summer. <laughs> we want to thank you all for listening and starting your week with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us in the beginning of your week, and we will see you next week. See you next week.